Good morning. This morning we're reading from John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sacrificed in truth, sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. John's Gospel, uh, we've talked about this before, John's Gospel is told from a different vantage point than the other Gospels in the Bible. John kind of gives us a, a backstage vantage point from, uh, from his angle as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So of the 12 disciples, John, um, John had a unique perspective uh, it's not that Jesus loved him more. It, it's just John, John had a closer, more intimate perspective on Jesus. And that comes out in this gospel, especially in chapter 17. 
where what, 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 what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus, the night he was betrayed, the night before he was executed on a Roman cross, he prayed this, and John records it for us. In this prayer, it exposes, we just get a glimpse, just a glimpse of the grand loving intimacy within the Trinity, specifically between God the Father and God the Son. And we discover in Jesus' prayer to his Father, we discover that the time had come. Jesus, all throughout this gospel, has been saying, my time has not yet come. Well, but the time has come. Jesus was never willing to take on the world stage as other people suggested and urged him to, right? But now he's ready. He's done everything that he was sent to do. Almost everything. Now he's ready to die. He's ready to die now, and, and that death, the crucifixion, would then give way to the amazing resurrection, which would give way to his ascension back into heaven in which his Holy Spirit would come to indwell everybody who believes in him. This whole progression is about to take place. This unique moment in all of time and space is about to take place. And what Jesus does before that moment is he prays before he's ready to die. And as he prepares to ascend back, risen into the presence of God the Father. And this beautifully intimate mountaintop of all prayers in the Bible remains a witness to us even 2,000 years later. This prayer that's recorded in John chapter 17, it is a witness to Jesus Christ's mission in the world. Why he came and what he is still doing through his Holy Spirit. It's also a witness to Christian identity. If you're a Christian, this prayer tells you who you are. And it's a witness to the love of God. He loves us like he loved his son. Isn't it considerate and generous of people who before they die, write out a will so that everybody knows who's getting what and what happens with the assets and the property? Don't you feel stressed and confused and in conflict when somebody dies and nobody knows what to do with their stuff? It's considerate, it's thoughtful. It's loving when somebody prepares the way before they go. Bilbo left Frodo the ring and all of Bag End. Uh, some of you know this, when Becky's dad died last week, you know, years ago, he planned out what was going to happen to the farm after he died, the family farm, the apple farm. Now everybody knows what is going to happen to those hundreds of acres and how it's going to be arranged and what's going to happen. Such things are generous, they're considerate, they help the people that you leave behind. Well, Jesus didn't leave us without leaving everything to us. And that's how I want to talk about Jesus' famous prayer today. I want to talk about what Jesus actually prayed for. It's kind of hard to follow when you read it all at once. But some amazing things are there in those words. So we're going to talk about what Jesus prayed for, and then we're going to talk about what it means. The fact that he prayed these things specifically for us, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for you that the Son of God prayed these things for you 2,000 years ago? And finally, we're going to look at how God answered those prayers. 
So what Jesus prayed for, what it means for us that He prayed that way, and what God did to answer those prayers. So what Jesus prayed for, what He asked God the Father for concerning you, concerning me, is absolutely jaw-dropping. We take it for granted if we're familiar with the Bible and have read it several times, but it's jaw-dropping when you consider what is here in this chapter. And we don't, we don't have enough time to look at every single request that Jesus asks of the Heavenly Father before His death. So I'm only going to highlight a few and then comment on them, okay? So, so hold on. Here we go. First thing, He says, Father, the hour has come, and here's the first request, glorify Your Son that Your Son may glorify You. And He adds something to that in verse 5. He says, glorify Me with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. That's a tall order. John chapter 1 told us that in the beginning, Jesus was God. He wasn't just with God, He was God. As Paul describes Jesus in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Jesus is the very God who dwells in unapproachable light. Now, if you're not familiar with who Jesus is, that's who He is. He is the God who dwells in unapproachable light, who is and was and is to come. Now, when he says to the Father, glorify me, he doesn't mean reveal that awesome, inapproachable light because it would have, it, everybody would have died. All of his disciples would have died if God revealed his heavenly glory in that moment. By glorify me now, Father, he means honor me now. Reveal now who I am and what I'm doing and why I came here. Reveal now, Father, what you and I have been planning to do since before time and space, since before the world began. Reveal now what we have been planning to do all along. Are you dizzy yet? I mean, that is, uh, we are up in, in the Himalayas right now gasping for oxygen because of what Jesus is talking about here. Well, hold on tight, there's more. He also says in verse 3, here's another request, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So he's asking his heavenly Father that you and I would have eternal life, would never know eternal death, would never know eternal darkness and judgment, and separation from a good and loving Creator and all the wonderful things He has planned for humanity. Your soul lasts forever. And He's saying right here that He prays that we would have eternal life. If you're not familiar with Christianity, this is what Christians know. This is who Christians know. You know, eternal life is not simply living forever, as one scholar puts it, but eternal life is knowing the one who lives forever. It's not just like you'll never die. It's, it's that you know the one who created you. You understand who he is. He knows you and you know him. And that's what eternal life truly is. And as a, a brother of mine preached uh, just last week when I was down in Chattanooga, 
he made this very point that eternal life is not just something you have after you die and when Jesus comes back. Eternal life is something you have right now. Your eternal life that you live is happening right now. You're already living it. It's not quite perfected yet. But eternal life is knowing the one who created you and having that relationship with him. This is an amazing request. Look at verse 9. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, some people read that and they perceive some kind of cognitive dissonance. It makes us uncomfortable. But John has no problem with this. Now, yes, it's true. John 3.16, we've already looked at it, says, for God so loved what? The world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's true. God loves the world. But that's John speaking in general terms. Here we discover that Jesus, that Heavenly Father, has a particular personal love for his own sheep. In general, he loves the world, but specifically, particularly, personally, he loves his own sheep. He loves the people, as Jesus said in John chapter 10, for whom he came to die. So this is is not a God who just generically loves everyone and everything, as though nobody is important individually. This is a God who is your personal father. This is a God whom you can say doesn't simply love humanity, but loves you, loves Judy, loves Bob, loves Maddie loves Natalie and Annie and Alex and Jesse and Brian. Here's another one, verse 13. He says about us, about his disciples, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You see here that the Son of God and the Father that he represented is not a grumpy curmudgeon. He wants us to have joy and to have it fully as he's already told his disciples in a previous chapter. Okay, I can't help myself. Here's another one. Verses 20 and 21, listen to this. Oh, sorry, let me go back to verse 17. He says, sanctify them, meaning set them apart. Put them aside for your special purposes. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's amazing that that Jesus asked that the Heavenly Father would give us His truth. Jesus asked that God's truth would distinguish His followers from the rest of the world. Not that they were better looking or smarter or higher class. Nothing like that. Just that they would know His truth and that would make them different. That they knew Him. That they understood Him and His plan for humanity. But he goes further than that. Look at verses 20 and 21. He says, I don't only pray for my disciples here around me at this dinner table and who have walked with me for three years. He says, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. So that's everybody in the first century and the second and the third and the fourth and on until the 21st century and right here in this room. Jesus prayed for us specifically, those of us who believe in the original 11, the original 12 apostles. 
And he goes on to say that they will all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And he says, I'm praying for them who will believe in the message in the future so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Just as he prayed that God's truth would distinguish his disciples from the rest of the world, he also asked that God's truth would unite his disciples. It's the truth of God ultimately that unites us as Christians and with other Christians. Did you know that? You know, I... I agree that there are probably way too many deno Christian denominations and, and churches across the world. Um, but I, I, actually am, I, I actually fear that, that our frustration over how many denominations there are, and, and granted, it, I understand it's frustrating and sometimes discouraging that we can't all just be together all the time the last 2,000 years, but I actually, I'm a little concerned that's a bit too utopian to be discouraged that there are so many denominations. You know, I, I think we expect too much out of fallen sinful humanity. Do you think Jesus expected any different that a bunch of sinners saved by his grace couldn't function in one organization for 2,000 years? You think this lack of organizational unity across the centuries and across the planet surprises Jesus? Rather, what unites us across the centuries and across the seas and across denominations is the truth. That's what unites us. We believe in one God, in one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, one baptism, one fellowship, as he says, as Paul said in one of his letters. The Apostle Paul said in one of his letters. So Jesus prays that his disciples would know the truth and have the truth and that the truth would unite them. Why? Because of his mission. Because the world needs to know who Jesus is and what he's doing. And if we can't all agree on who Jesus is, if we can't agree on that truth, there's no unity for the world to notice. Finally, in verse 26, he says, this is amazing, he asks that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Did you hear that? He's asking that the same love that the Heavenly Father had for Him while He was here as a human being would also be given to us. Did you hear that? The same love that God has for Himself, Father to Son, is available to us. The love with which the Father loved Jesus the Son, Jesus said, I want you to love them with the very same love. You know, if, if you're not affected by this prayer, I'm afraid that nothing good or true or beautiful will ever move you. What does all of this mean? What Jesus prayed for means for us that He has left us everything. Not only the family farm, not only bag end, not simply a collectible automobile or those collectible baseball cards or the china set. He has left us literally all things of eternal lasting value. Have you considered the depths of the riches that Jesus requested that God the Father should give everybody who believes in Him? 
Peter was there also. Peter would have heard this prayer as well. And in one of Peter's letters to the churches later on, he would say this, that God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through our knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. Peter's saying the very same thing that Jesus prayed for. Peter remembered, and he reminded Christians, this is everything that He's given to us. Jesus has left to all believers, given to Him by the Father, all things, even, listen to this, this is amazing, even His own glory. Jesus has given to us, has prayed that the Father would give us His own glory. Look at verses 22 and 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. And He said, so that the world may know that you have sent me. This is amazing. You have glory. You have glory. Now, it's, it's not an, an inherent glory. You don't whip up your own glory. It is a derived glory. It is a glory that's given to you from your heavenly Father. Our glory, this is important, especially as Americans. Our glory does not receive praise. Only God's glory receives praise. Our glory reflects it. Our glory, as His sons and daughters, reflects His truth, who He is, His name, as Jesus keeps bringing up that expression, His name, His personality, His character, who He is. Our glory reflects who God is to the rest of the world, to our sisters and brothers, you know, I mean, our, our biological families and where we work and, and where we live, our neighbors. We don't receive glory, we, we reflect it. And we really, the American Christianity needs to be so careful to remember that. We don't point the community to ourselves. We point the community to our God. We get into big trouble when we point the community to ourselves. Because if the world simply looks at us, there's all sorts of messy things to see. We point all glory to Him. And the Apostle Paul knew this exactly because the Corinthians were just like Americans. And in his letter to the church in Corinth, he said, so let no one boast in men. Don't brag in each other. Don't point to one another. Don't be so impressed with yourselves and with your heroes. Don't we do that all the time? And didn't Jesus say in John chapter 5 to the other religious leaders, you all just pat each other on the back. You're all about your own glory. You receive and give glory to one another. I don't do that. Why? Because he had glory from his heavenly Father. And so Paul says the same thing to Christians. Let nobody boast. Why? For all things are yours. I don't need to need people to be impressed with me. If all the glory I have is given to me from God, meant to reflect His glory to everybody else. So my encouragement, my challenge to us today and for this week is to find gratitude in the inestimable worth of what Jesus prayed for us in John chapter 17. I think you need to read it again 
and read it again until you're blown away by what you're reading. It may not seem that exciting to you right now, but think of your favorite album. Did you love it the second you heard it? Most great music, right? You need to listen to it 10 times, 12 times. You know, you, you, hear, you hear an amazing piece of music or you look at a beautiful work of art, it doesn't always hit you immediately. The things that hit you immediately are, are intended to, to draw attention to themselves. That's why uh, the top 10 pop hits are exciting today and then overplayed and forgotten in a year because they're meant to get your attention immediately. But the truly great songs, the songs that still survive since the 70s or the works of art that survive since the 1500s, right? And, and, and all the great things, you don't, they, you don't appreciate them immediately. You listen again and again and again and again. And finally, you're like, I love this. This is amazing. This is my favorite work of art. I walked right past it the first time I visited this museum. But now it's the thing I love to see the most. Read John 17 again and again until you are thankful for all that Jesus prayed for you. I want you to read it again, and I want you to think, wow. Thank God for something in there that you did not do, that you did not create, that you did not think on your own, and that you did not resolve or fix. Actually, you can do that with any passage in the Bible. Read a little passage in the Bible, and then thank God for something in there that you didn't do, that you didn't make, that you didn't resolve or figure out. And then ask God, after you thank Him, ask God that other people in your life would notice your thankful heart. That's a great way of reflecting the glory of God outward towards each other and towards the community, which is exactly what Jesus prayed for. Read his word that he has given to you, that Jesus prayed you would receive and believe, and thank him for something in that word, and then ask him, God, may other people see my thankful heart. What people pray for has very little to do with what Jesus has prayed for. Do your prayer requests match the prayers of Jesus? Do our prayer lists match what Jesus has prayed for us? I'll I'll say that in a different way. What people desire often has little to do with what Jesus desires for them. We don't always ask the things that Peter talked about. We don't always ask God for things that pertain to life and godliness. Have you been desiring other things and frustrated that your Heavenly Father is not providing them to you? I'm sure you can think of one thing that you wanted that God has not given you. Maybe it's a good thing, but you aren't experiencing it. Or, or you, haven't, you don't possess it. You don't have it. Are you frustrated? Have you asked God for the very things that Jesus is praying for in John chapter 17? Because I guarantee you, He will not withhold a single one of them from you. And He hasn't already. A child complains, right? And says, I hate you. I don't want to be around you. 
because you won't give me the things I want. Fill in the blank, right? Fill in the blank. But a loving parent will only give a child what is good for them. And so Jesus says in verses 15 to 16, another request, I do not ask, Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus did not pray that you should escape all hardships. He prayed that God would preserve you in all hardships. Because without hardships, God's glory will not be seen in us. What did God do to answer Jesus' prayer? Exactly what Jesus asked Him to do. Glorify me now, Father, with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. He did exactly that. The Father glorified God the Son the very next day, allowing political forces and personal jealousies to crucify Him on a Roman cross. God granted all that Jesus asked for in John chapter 17. He granted all that Jesus asked for. He forgave you because Jesus asked Him to. He has loved you because Jesus asked Him to. He has saved you from your sins and the guilt of your sins before a perfect and righteous God because Jesus asked Him to. He has united us around Him. Around Him. He has united us around who He is and what He has done and what He has said because Jesus asked Him to. And God the Father granted every single one of Jesus the Son's requests by overlooking just one of them. There's one request that God the Father did not answer in the affirmative. That very night while He was sweating drops of blood and said these words, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. The Father did not grant that request. But Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus understood, as a human being, Jesus understood that our requests and the will of God are not always the same thing. There is no other way for us to be saved. That's why Jesus, when He heard, essentially, you know, not audibly, but when Jesus knew that the Father would not remove that cup of death, that cup full of the judgment that you and I deserve for our sin and our rebellion, Jesus knew that that cup would not be removed from Him. But Jesus went through with that crucifixion because He knew there was no other way for you to be saved. There was no other way for that to happen. That's what Jesus wanted for you to be saved, to be forgiven, to be loved, and for us to be unified so that the world may know what He is about. That's what He wanted. And, and so you now start praying for the things He wanted. He didn't leave us without leaving everything to us. 
And all of that is possible. We take ownership of all of that. We thank Him for all of that. We are amazed by all of that because He gave us His Holy Spirit. He told us in the previous chapter that the Spirit of truth would come to reveal to us everything that He had said and done. He didn't leave us without leaving everything to us. And so find gratitude in the inestimable worth of everything that Jesus prayed for. Maybe now, you know, as, as we struggle with contentment, as we all seem on edge, as we feel maybe misunderstood, or, or, or maybe you feel shortchanged by life and the world and the pandemic, maybe now we should find our gratitude. Maybe, you know, a few weeks ago, it was, we need to find our courage, right? Well, we need to find our gratitude and practice thankfulness because Jesus has left us all things. Let's pray. Father, we are, huh, if you have given us ears to hear this and eyes to see it, we are overwhelmed to the point of maybe falling off of our seats with what Jesus audaciously, lovingly asked you to do. We thank you for all that you have accomplished through Jesus Christ our Lord. For allowing your Son to be killed so that we would not have to be separated from you forever. For raising Him from the dead to prove to us that you are going to make all things new. For bringing Him back to your side in heaven and sending your Spirit to us to never leave us alone again. Lord, I pray for any of my friends here who are not impressed with this prayer that Jesus has prayed, who don't think anything of it, who weren't even paying attention. I pray that you would give them eyes to see it and ears to hear all, all that you have prepared for those who love you. Amen.